0: In Matthew 5 verses 22, Christ is responding to a popular misconception. The misconception is found in verses 21 and we'll begin reading there. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. Michael, that's one of the Ten Commandments, it's not a popular misconception. Well, um, Christ seemed to think that it was a popular misconception. Maybe because we didn't understand what killing meant. So he elaborates, he tries to explain the, the emotions that motivate murder. He tries to help us see where it comes from. But I say unto you, verses 22, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause, be in danger of judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Ouch. I'm a pretty down-to-earth person. I... I avoid using the big theological words like theology itself. I I don't like words like epistemology and axiology and metaphysics. And for those of you that understand that I'm an axiologist should tell you enough about me, but okay. I I don't talk about salvation and glorification and sanctification. There's there's these big philosophical and theological words that Theologians have their own language, and if you don't have their dictionary, you can't understand what they're saying 90% of the time. I like to know what the practical implication is of what we're saying. What difference does it make? So when your husband calls you a fool, how do you feel? If anyone else calls you a fool, it's, it's it's annoying, it's not nice, but when your husband calls you a fool... When your wife calls you an idiot, when your girlfriend says you are stupid, when your boyfriend says that you are brain dead, what does it do? Does it create heaven or does it create hell? Does it build life or does it destroy? There's, there's something important that people don't seem to understand. We, we live in this world where we, we're in this illusion. That we can do and say whatever we want to and it has absolutely no effect upon other people. And it's only when, when we look at the cross that we start to understand that the cross, that should have been me. My actions, that is what they culminate, that is, that is where they meet the road, that is the practical results of my actions. I have enraged people to the point where they should have crucified me. I have hurt people badly enough to want to nail me to that cross. Jesus did not deserve to be there. I did. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, I want to get married. I want to have children. I want to be happy. I I can see how how marriage, how relationships, how the things that you created love to be seems really, really special. But Father God, I still do things that destroy the lives of the people around me every single day. I am so weak, I am so broken. I would like to start by praying today for me. Heal me. Change me. Set me free. I pray in your name's sake alone. Amen. The irony of the situation as we've discovered is that we end up going back to default behavior. We treat the people we love like we treat everyone else. But there's another aspect to this. Because if somebody dresses like a clown and I don't know the person I'm going to walk past the person, smirk, and go, you don't have a sense of style, and move on. But if it is my son, or my mom, or my wife, I'm going to gag and I'm going to let them have it because I love them. Because I want to protect them. Because my sense of what is right is so strong that I will rather rip shreds of flesh out of their souls and to give them the time of day required to consider that they might be doing whatever they are doing for a reason. Love hurts. Or our definition of love hurts. So I want to go to Genesis 2 verses 7. And God says in Genesis 1. In the closing verses. That he wants to create. Mankind. In his own image. And he created them to have dominion. Then he blessed them. He said, multiply and be fruitful. And I know many people say that human sexuality is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we were never supposed to have sex. And blah de da da I don't know where they read it. It's not in the Bible. Because God says, I want you to reproduce. I want you to fill the earth. And ironically, every single time God says, let it be, and it stands as he commands, the most amazing thing ever happens. God looks at it and he says, wow, it is good. But in Genesis 1.31 he says, and God saw everything that he had made. And this is after he created man. Before it was good, right? And behold, it was very good. That word very is only used after the creation of mankind. So we're in Genesis 2 verses 7 The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. I want you to imagine this divine being, this deity, this holy being kneeling down in the mud, getting dirt on his hands. There's dust underneath his fingernails. And as he's leaning forward, he starts sculpting. He starts building. He starts forming something. Because the power that spoke and said, let it be. It was not enough to convey the value of this moment. It was not enough to teach mankind how much we mean to God. No. God had to show you how far he was willing to go. He had to show you your true value. So he bent down in the dust to form you with his own touch. Now, I want to focus quickly on one verse in, or one word in passing. We'll look more at the Hebrew in Genesis 2 in a future lecture. But let's suffice to say that the word dust has two meanings or two interpretations. The one comes from the word Hadama. Yes, it sounds like Adam. So in other words, mankind. Oh, let's just do it right now. Mankind is also known as Hadama. Interesting. So when you're reading from Genesis 2 verses 13, you read and God formed Hadama out of the Hadama. In fact, the word Hadamah is used three times in 2 verse 13. And Adam had not yet received his name. Therefore, scholars tend to agree, those who look into the Hebrew, that Adam's name is in reference to his origin being formed out of the dust of the earth. And as a reference to mankind, he is a representative of our species. But the other word for dust is afar, which means rubbish, dirt, dust. So God bends down in the rubbish, in the dirt, in the dust. form you. He could have formed you with his own words but he didn't. He needed you to know from the very beginning how far he was willing to go so that you could understand how much you mean to him. And then 2000 years ago he reiterates this lesson study by bending down in the dust and dying on the cross. Because you see when his hands, when his touch was no longer enough to define your meaning. He leaned forward and he breathed his own breath into your lungs. And his life became your life, because you are his life. And when you died, he breathed out his last breath on Calvary to show you what you're doing to him. what is love perhaps the single most important day of my life was january 15 2001 i remember it like it was yesterday we had Got onto buses some hours before. Driven back to my hometown, Heidelberg shouting. I can still hear my mom's voice going, why do I have to drive your sorry butt all the way to Pretoria so they can drive you back to Heidelberg so you can join the army? Can't I just go drop you in front of the gate? We got a, We were thrown off the buses. Correction, we didn't get off the buses. As I got up from the tar road, I realized that I was no longer a little boy. Welcome to the heart of hell, little soldier. We're here to prepare you for it. Our first class was Geneva, Rules of Engagement you see we didn't have guns or compasses or any type of equipment but there's a lot of work to do in a very limited time and they need to finish sorting out the paperwork so they started with probably the least important thing in the army rules of engagement now during the class we are kindly informed that The rules don't really matter. Nobody listens to them. During war, the side that wins creates the rules. In fact, history is defined by the memories of those that live to tell the story. So when you become a prisoner of war, When you are captured, we beg you to try to escape. You will be killed while trying to escape, but it will be the shortest and most merciful death. We sat there stunned to silence. You grew up. Hearing urban legends of the Russians who believed that the American fighter pilots were deployed with suicide poles. And the American fighter pilots believed that the Russian fighter pilots flew with suicide poles in their backpacks so that they could kill themselves if captured by the enemy forces. It's it's what you expect of the big bad enemy. Michael, if you get captured during combat, we want you to try to escape. You will end up being killed. But it is the least painful way to go. Please get yourself killed. I could not believe my ears. This is the 21st century. I'm a South African. We have human rights. So my one friend put her hand in the air and went, I'm sorry, Captain. Um, Are you telling us to kill ourselves if we get captured? And one man in the back of the room puts his hand in the air. He goes, Captain. Captain, may I? Stuff Sergeant Smith. And the sergeant goes, sure, no problem. Boys and girls, you think it's romantic when you tell someone that you will die for them. That you will gladly give your life for them. I need you to understand something. I'm not asking you to die for your loved ones. I'm asking you to live for your loved ones. I'm not asking you to bleed. I'm begging you to invest every breath you take. Every moment of your existence, in the improvement, in the service of your loved ones. I want you to consider the possibility that your breath you breathe, that your energy, that your capabilities can change the world you live in can make a difference, can build our society. I want you to live, not to die for your country. What would happen if you were willing to live for another human being. What would happen if you would spend every moment of your existence trying to make someone else happy? And this is why the cross fits into Genesis 1, because in the beginning God gave everything Every breath he breathed spoke colour, beauty, inspiration, stability, order into existence. You did not become his breath when he breathed life into Adam. You were his breath when he solidified the ground upon which you were supposed to walk by speaking it into being. You became the air he breathed when he painted sunrises into your skies, when he filled your nights with stars, you became his life when he wove together the flower petals to create bouquets, the most tender touch, to show you how tender and caring true love is supposed to be. You see, dear friend, true love is defined by the way God sees you. Allow me to ask, it a little different. Is your boyfriend sacred? Does your spouse belong to God? Do you touch the heart of a supernatural being every single time you speak to your girlfriend? Does the way you think about your child shape God's day today? Ouch! Maybe I should stop this recording here. You see, love is the most powerful force known to mankind. We know that God is love, but what is love, really? I can begin by telling you that love is the appreciation of character. True. That doesn't quite do justice to the theme that we are looking at today. Because while we are looking at divine love, it transcends the limitations of human understanding. And because I cannot fully understand what love can become, Should become, wants to be. My limited understanding of love can never do justice to what God dreams to impart into my life through this powerful theme. And so it is that I'm sitting out here in nature, staring at the mountains. Realizing that the stability and the strength of these marble pillars was designed to tell me of the peace, the stability, the assurance that you can enjoy in your family life today if you learn to build love upon the principles of God. God designed bird flight. He designed the butterfly's wings to show you that the impossible is possible. To show you the height that love can carry you to. But in order for you to to learn to dance upon the wind, in order for you to climb through the air and touch the skies, to reach the clouds, you need to learn to see the invisible you need to learn to see the powers that shape emotion, that shape thoughts, that influence reality. There's, there's a powerful similarity when you compare insect wings to bird wings. They are so tender. These these gentle emblems of power are so soft. And that is the keys to human growth. That is the keys to the fulfillment of your dreams. It begins with tenderness. It begins with something that is so gentle, so soft, so caring, so understanding, that no human mind can fathom the power thereof. Because true gentleness touches hearts in ways that power and brute force can never. True kindness wins hearts, cuts through darkness, builds peace, creates a sense of trust in a way that armies and soldiers cannot. So, this tenderness, this care, this voice of love reaches through the darkness. It, it takes hold of the strongest motivation known to the universe and creates a climate in which stability in which prosperity, in which comfort, is possible. He fills the air we breathe with a scent of roses, lilies, orchids. He colours the skies with sunsets and sunrises, This god, motivated by love, creates fulfilment, depth, colour that nothing else could ever bring. Because only the touch of love could complete creation in the way it did. This beauty was not merely fashioned to be perfect, It was designed to fit into your heart and to change your life. And that is what true love is supposed to be. True love centers around what it can do for you and not what it can get. Because the more it invests, the more the natural return will become. But the moment it looks at self and asks, What is my reward? I stop giving. And when I stop feeding something, it dies. I want to go back to the way in which Eve was created in Genesis 2. So God puts Adam to sleep and He takes out a physical piece of Adam. Why did He have to do that? Why couldn't He merely create another human being out of dust? He's continuing with the imagery. He wants you to understand that there was a part of you, inside of you, that had to be removed to create something that is so personal, so powerful, so special that this being, this person, is supposed to become a physical part of you, of your mind, of your heart, of your soul, of your body. This person is to become as personal to you as you are to yourself. Hurting me will hurt my life partner. Destroying my spouse will kill me. Touching my child will shred my soul. Making me happy will make my children happy. Because you see In your home you are supposed to be bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. So Adam looks at Eve and he realizes that they are supposed to be closer than any human bond can ever create. They are supposed to become one. And he says a man will leave his mother and his father and they will become one flesh. One body, one mind, one spirit. It's interesting because there are several places throughout the Bible where God says, Cleave unto me. One of these is found in Deuteronomy 4, verses 4. God speaking through Moses, saying, But ye that did cleave unto the Lord your God are alive, every one of you, this day. Wow. Another one, Deuteronomy 10. And we are reading from verses 20. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. Him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave, and swear by his name. 11 verses 22. For if ye shall diligently keep all these commandments which I command you to do them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all these ways, and to cleave unto Him. What will happen if we cleave unto God? Joshua 22 verses 5, but take diligent heed to do the commandments and the law which Moses the servant of the Lord charged you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him with all your hearts and with all your soul, not mere obedience but serving Him with all my heart and all my soul, cleaving, clinging unto Him for dear life, becoming one with God. Then what was love supposed to be? if it was supposed to be an illustration that would teach me about God's love? What was true passion supposed to be if God wanted it to teach me how much I mean to Him? What is your family supposed to be If every single emotion within the family life is a window into the soul of God. You see, the problem is, while I am thinking about myself, while I am trying to see what I can get out of my relationship with my wife, with my child, with my parent, I am living one person's life. But when I cleave unto God, when I start realizing how other people, or how much they are worth to Him, when I start seeing the difference that they can make in my lives, or in my life, when I start realizing the value of a smile, the true price of friendship, When I start enjoying the conversation of my significant other, when their happiness shows me what true love can accomplish inside my tattered soul, when I start realizing the power of passion, I start living through more than one heart, I become more than one person, I find within my family an extension of what I am supposed to be. And every single smile that lights up my son's face, that penetrates the nightmares of my daughter. Every single song that my wife sings, tune that my husband whistles. Every single fulfilment of every single dream in my parents' lives becomes a testimony to the power of love. Becomes witness to what God can do in my life today. Changes the way I see myself. Helps me to understand what I can be, what I can do, the difference that I can make. And it creates a sense of fulfilment of happiness of completion that nothing else on earth ever can. Love completes the darkest human nightmares and leaves a living oasis in the heart of the desert. What difference will unconditional love make in your life today? What will happen when you find somebody that appreciates you for what God sees in you? And you allow that sense of wonder, that sense of appreciation, of sincere thankfulness to God to blossom, to grow, and to define your feelings. Yes, true love does not begin with feelings. It begins with worship. Worshiping God. But it does result in feelings. It does create happiness and fulfillment and excitement. Not in the way the world expects it. But it changes your life. It completes you and shows you who you are to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that your greatness, your wisdom, your love will guide us in a world where our broken thoughts and impulses and lust often lead us into minefields. Save us from the darkness, the suffering, the hurt, that we've endured, creating us new hopes, new dreams, new aspirations. Save us from ourselves. Allow your wisdom, your greatness to guide us, to complete us, to make us happy. This we pray in your mighty name, sake alone. Amen.